HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area. And we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio. And we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food. And that's what we are at Fairway is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain. And, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and, and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we have a great show today. Uh, first time actually on air, not calling in from UK, London, Carl Warner. You don't know who he is? Oh, you've seen his work. Foodscapes, food landscapes, these amazing... Uh, architectural feats of photography pretty much inclusive of food as ingredients uh, food as all art elements in the image we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second uh, just want to introduce Carl whose background actually was born in Liverpool England and still to this day works in London correct that's right yeah I uh, lived down in Kent in uh, south of England 
uh, travel up to my studio every day, which is about 40 minutes into, into London. But yeah, originally from Liverpool, although I don't talk like uh, a Liverpoolian <laughs> anymore. No, I, I don't even know the differentiation in accent. What is it? Um, well, if you're from Liverpool, you probably talk a bit like this, like the Beatles, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, like John Lennon, you know. But you can still pull the wool over people's eyes. Yes, yeah. I throw myself in and out of that. Excellent. Um, now, you ended up going to art school for drawing initially and now work as a photographer. Yeah, I I was uh, very blessed with the ability to draw as a kid. And I used to spend I was an only child and spent sort of hours in my bedroom um drawing, listening to music and kind of inventing little worlds I suppose in my head um and on paper and uh, just kind of practicing drawing was a really good thing. I think a lot of people have got the ability to draw a bit, but if you kind of do a lot of it, you get better at it. And um, the kind of work I'm doing now is almost like an extension of that. I've created these sort of worlds out of food using through photography uh, that really have sort of started off from uh, my imagination or the muscle of my imagination yeah. being exercised from a very young age. Well, it's also a little part uh, in due to your inspirations. Uh, quoted Salvador Dali, Patrick Woodruff, uh, who did a lot of Judith Priest uh, cover art. Did he? I don't yeah. remember seeing those. Uh, I've I've seen seen a, right. I remember seeing a couple of those. Uh, and record sleeve artists such as Roger Dean and uh, Hypnosis, which is Storm uh, Thurgison's studio. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know their work, it ranges from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon to Led Zeppelin to uh, even books like Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide mm. uh, to the Galaxy. So imagine, uh, you know, those kind of fantastical worlds well carl is doing that with food uh, it's quite outstanding and i mean you sp- said that you spent hours drawing and listening to the music uh was it of these bands like pink floyd Led Zeppelin? yeah very much so i was uh, really into kind of i don't know early genesis and uh yes and and all those <laughs> things are very unpopular with yeah. my wife well, uh, like peter gabriel uh, uh, yeah 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 yes. yeah big fan of peter gabriel me, me too yeah so are you peter or phil uh, I was both actually. Yeah. I kind of I was originally you know Peter, but uh, I liked the early the, the trick of the tale and the stuff that started off when Phil was still kind of trying to be a bit like Peter. Yeah. I thought that was okay. <laughs> it was when they went off the rails and did all yeah. kinds of silly Hopefully things. Hopefully, Phil isn't listening in on this show. I hope not. Get steaming, Just steaming. <laughs> um, so you listened to a lot of these albums. Was inspired by the album covers and the art therewith. Um, what was that transition then in art school that took you away from drawing into photography? Well, uh, I, found, I found that when I got to art school, there were some pe- guys who were really good at drawing. I mean, I thought I was quite good and this was my future. But when I saw how well these guys drew and I just thought, oh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a bit uh, outranked here. Oh, I've seen your sketches in your well, book. You're doing just fine. Th- yeah. they, they were kind of, they take a long time to do. And I, I saw this guy starting doing a drawing at the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, you could see he was bored. He was still sketching it in and making a leather jacket look almost photographic. And I thought, he's putting so much effort into that. And during that time, okay, he's done a great picture at the end of it, but he had one picture to show for it. Whereas I'd shot 20 rolls of film. I had printed kind of, you know, 50 prints. And I had so much more. It was so much more prolific. I kind of found that, wow, photography is faster, quicker, easier, I suppose. But also it was um, a medium that enabled me to develop ideas and be creative uh, in a shorter time span and learn so much more. So, so it, was, it was kind of about being frenetic rather than just, you know, sitting there working on technique. Yeah, point. yeah. And I think it just helps, you know, as a, the, the mind or the, the imagination as a muscle, to uh, a creative muscle to use to flex it. And it's like going to gym. 
I found that uh, photography was the sort of gym of the sort of creative uh, experience for me. And I was just in love with the fact that I could make... I loved the fact that I could take photographs of things and make the mundane look a bit more interesting by the use of lighting or printing or composition. Uh, and that's kind of what I got into doing. I sort of moved into the advertising world because of that, being able to make a, a boring everyday object look beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. you were, you assisted for a lot of ad photographers? Um, not that many. I assisted for about a year, but this was back in the 80s when there was so much work around. I mean, you just put your hat out the window <laughs> and then the layout would fall into it. And a lot of the design companies were and PR agencies were also commissioning because the photo libraries in those days were really poor. They were really very kind of average kind of work that was in it. So um, uh, everybody was wanting photography commissioned. Not so now, sadly. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, we'll jump ahead from the 80s to 2008. Uh, I guess it was kind of a fateful day. Uh, January was, yeah. 13th, 2008. Um, Carl had a quarter page spread in the Sunday Times about his food landscapes. The next day, the Daily Mail, the Mirror, the Sun, BBC, and parents on the Richard and Judy show. Yes, yeah. And that, w- that was it. That was a good day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a, a fantastic day. Yeah. Um, and then what kind of inquiries, what kind of things started coming into the studio? Um, well, I got a lot of people obviously wanting to interview me, lots of magazines and newspapers, and, and that kind of um, coupled with the, the internet where people had started to sort of download the pictures and put them together in PDF and uh, send them, you know, viral global emailing all over the place was just kind of um, happening behind, you know, the scenes. I didn't realize it was all going on. And of course, all of these people, I was getting emails from South America and China um, just saying, you know, we really love what you're doing and stuff. And I was just really overwhelmed, you know, very... You know, very kind of. I feel very uh, you know, privileged to be able to do something like this. But uh, yeah, my my career was not particularly on an upward trajectory <laughs> at that time. Yeah, and this kind of just turned my world round. Do uh, you celebrate that day every year? Um, I should do. Actually, <laughs> I haven't thought about doing that, but I ought to for sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Why did you even do that project? It wasn't it wasn't commissioned. It was no, no. I mean, I think um, being in the advertising world and working as a creative photographer, you need to kind of offer up work uh, to the the ad agencies, um, a particular style, a way of looking at something, a technique, just so that they'll kind of you know throw a job your way and think, well, that'd be great for selling this product or that. So um, that was the way I was keeping in business. Really, was just by kind of pitching ideas to to agencies agencies so uh, this whole foodscape thing started from me trying to do something different and original and uh, I went out one day to uh, uh, a food market and just came across these fantastic portobello mushrooms that were beautiful specimens they hadn't you know no blemishes or anything and uh, the fronds were all kind of uh, is it fronds the underside of a mushroom anyway they were all just beautiful and perfect so I kind of brought them back to the studio with a view of photographing them but I I couldn't get away from the fact that these look like trees <laughs> yeah. and I thought I'm going to try and make this look like a like they are trees on a very small very simple tabletop um to create this three-dimensional world and that is the uh the, the image that's featured at the beginning of the book which is kind of you know 
the opening kind of one that I did. And that's uh, that was how it started, really. And I've kind of moved it on from there. I didn't really think I had many more ideas. I thought that was it. <laughs> yeah, I actually have Carl's book in front of me, Food Landscapes by, uh, is it Abrams Books? Abrams Books, it just yes. came out October 2010. Check it out. Uh, you can get it wherever books are sold. And I was told, possibly not outer space. <laughs> I'm not sure if they have a reseller out there. But if you're out in outer space, uh, ask for the book and maybe they'll pick it up. But, yeah, I'm mean, looking through this book. Um, initially, you study the image and sometimes don't even realize what the elements of the image are. Like you said, mushrooms being trees. Um, but, I mean, it's even past that. What's amazing is that he has these almost shot lists, uh, but they're actually labeled as ingredients, where uh, he conceptualizes a shoot. Um, the second one in the book is the salmon sea, um, where it says sea equals smoked salmon. Rocks are dark soda bread. Sand and pebbles are sugar and pinto beans. Foreground rocks are new potatoes and parsley. Foreground trees are dill. Uh, the boat is pea pod with a bean sprout. The sky is a side of salmon. Um, I mean, aside from some of the larger elements, you know, uh, I I didn't realize that they were pinto beans. I didn't realize that it was actually salmon at first. You, you've turned food into uh, some amazing textural abstract thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I call it uh, the pleasant deception. It's uh, it, I love it when people look at the work. First of all, they think it's a real scene, and I'm I'm intentionally trying to fool them into thinking that it's real. And then the double take when they actually realise it's all made out of food, uh, you know, they they always end up smiling. It's a really nice kind of reaction, um, and it's uh, it's something which inspires people. They're kind of th- this these days, everything's kind of been done is being reinvented all the time. To actually come across something that's new and original and different uh, is quite, uh, I think, you know, good for people to see that there are not everything's yet been done. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, but what's amazing too, it's not that you're using, you know, uh, broccoli as a tree. You're actually thinking about regionality. Uh, he has a series of kind of Tuscan landscapes, which use a lot of implements of Tuscan cuisine in the photo rather than... Yeah, that's very important to me. I think uh, if I'm photographing a particular place, it's, it's, right, it's only right that I use the ingredients from that place. Um, it f- somehow fits together well. I mean, I think that landscape is... Uh, altered or um, manipulated by man in terms of how he farms the land and the kind of things that grow on the land are obviously you know what they end up eating in those areas so there's this wonderful link between food and landscape which um, you know which the work is uh, is celebrating really Uh, and I'm quite fascinated by the the link between things especially as the larger things in the planet are kind of also um, echoed in the smaller things you know okay on a simple level a broccoli spear does look like a tree yeah but uh, I didn't think there were many other things out there but I've kind of discovered that the textures and the colors and the detail in certain small ingredients you know really do resemble those of larger things and I'm kind of playing on that illusion but also you know with my interest in food i'm kind of connecting it to something that's about a particular place a particular location let's let's talk about your interest in food um you know there's that preconception about what british food is here in the united states Mm -hmm. what did you eat growing up well, you know, being from up north in in uh, in England, that's where you had meat and two veg. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the meat and two veg is what you got on your plate. Um, always some form of potato, boiled, 
uh, mashed potato, chips, whatever, and uh, meat and some, a bit of greens. There wasn't it was English cuisine um, in the 1970s when I grew up wasn't uh, the best food in the world, and we hadn't really been introduced to um, Chinese food and Indian food and uh, you know Italian food. It was just just starting to filter its way through at that point. So for me, for where I was and where I was living and uh, just the people around me, we weren't really uh, eating food in the same way as we do today. So it was very uninspiring. And I'm not, I mean, I love food and I'm a a big foodie, but, uh, you know, my work is more of a celebration of food rather than through photography and through these visions that I have um, in my weird, weird (laughs) mind that, helps me bring around these uh, these ideas and bring them to fruition in terms of creating a piece of art that's yeah. um, well you had also mentioned before that you you went to the market and you know picked up a portobello uh any specific market does it happen to be like london's borough market or? uh well my studio now is just a stone's throw from borough market yeah, that, that's and good inspiration that is a great <laughs> place to go to you've been there uh, no i haven't i've seen tons and tons of pictures all right it's uh i mean compared to you know like new york i mean everything here is just so much bigger and uh, more colorful and more exciting we've got a few little places like borough market that are very sweet i mean it's a it's a lovely old place and it's got all the history there it is in fact the oldest market um i think in in england to be honest because uh it's uh, right next to london bridge it's where the romans first put a pontoon bridge across the river thames and the market set up there and the first settlement set up there which was eventually named by the romans as londinium and that's uh, where it all began so that is a very old market uh, but it's great to walk around and they've got all the kind of different sort of fruit and vegetables and all the seasonal stuff that comes in and I never tire of kind of going there and having a look and the, the sights and the, and the tastes of everything is just wonderful. Yeah, what do vendors know you there now as the foodscape guy? No, I wish they did. <laughs> Perhaps they would be a little bit more kind of like, wouldn't charge me so much. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we do talk about kind of perhaps putting some of the pictures up there because I am sort of like uh, some people realize and some people say, oh, you know, you're a local artist that does this food thing. So uh, I'd like to sort of get some of my pictures up on the wall there. But, um, yeah, I kind of sometimes it's nice to just kind of I mean, I go to say, look, I'm trying to make this mountain out of steak. Have you got anything or what can can we make? (laughs) And they just look like me like I'm crazy. And I kind of say, well, you know, I have to show a picture and they go, oh, right. Because when I say to people, they say, well, what do you do? And I say, oh, I make landscapes out of food. And they go, what? That sounds, uh, <laughs> what do you mean you make landscapes? I said, and I show them and they go, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, did they originally yeah. think it's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, with that mashed potato scene where I think. Yes, yeah, 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 where he's in his kitchen and yeah, he's got he's the like, bin and he's getting serious. Means something. <laughs> yes, that is just it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just taken it to another level. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Move past the mashed potato yeah. and to the meat mountains meat sculptures did you just say meat mountains yeah Yeah. i've done there's a shot in the back of the book which uh, because abrams being an american um publisher they wanted to get some american pictures in there so uh i kind of drew upon my memory of uh, old westerns uh, when I was a kid, and uh, this other one here is, is the kind of uh, stream. Is it streamline trailer? Uh, yeah, airstream. Airstream. Yeah. That's what I was trying. I'm to I'm looking at earlier. the serial dust bowl image. Yeah, and and again, if you look at the sky, the sky is actually a big slab of steak. <laughs> and uh, these are what do you call these slim jims? Are they? For, yep, exactly. So telegraph poles made from uh, out of slim jims, and the ground is all cereals and uh, you know bread and meat, and so it's the kind of. Midwest sort of, you know, cereal 
and you know the the the, the, the meats it's kind of like what what's eaten there you know what grows there and stuff so it's very important to me that you know again i tied in those ingredients uh to, to create that image yeah it's it's an amazing new twist on terroir in imagery mm-hmm. <laughs> fantastic um clients i mean this is must have garnered you some work with some food companies yeah it has and i kind of um i mean i'm not i'm not um uh, i'm not against prostituting my myself to be able to um sustain my art and my living and uh feed my family off the back of being commissioned uh by people to you know to sell food products um i mean there's some great food products out there i did a series for um an italian um, salami company called Negroni who uh, commissioned came to me and said would you be able to make Italian scenes just using our meat products which I didn't think was going to be possible but yeah. uh, we as long as we had the bread in there I put ciabatta bread and we had some breadsticks and things and I was able to create images using just two simple ingredients sets of ingredients but uh, and they're a bit weird. I mean, they're kind of <laughs> vegetarian nightmares. I think somebody yeah. once described them as. But uh, for me, that's it. Challenges me to to do something um, that work that you know that works, uh, but using just a very simple palette. It's very monotone as well. We're just sort of pinks and reds of meat, but yet they actually somehow have, have worked. Yeah, oddly Christmassy. <laughs> oddly Christmassy as well. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk a little more. To Carl, um, about what his studio smells like, because I'm sure you're all wondering. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the virally famous Carl Warner, um, foodscape photographer extraordinaire. And we just left off uh, kind of talking about, you know, how these shoots come together. But I'd like to know a little bit more about your studio, uh, the equipment that you use, but more specifically, the smell. I mean, how long does it take to actually construct one of these sets? Um, well, it all depends on the size and scale of them. Um, if we're doing something that's kind of roly-poly hills, uh, we kind of normally carve those out of polystyrene, first of all, and then we'll cover them with food and dress them. And if we're working with a lot of fresh 
uh, ingredients, especially fresh herbs, they wilt very quickly. Yeah. They, they die under the light. So we quite often shoot the um, the whole the scenes in sections. So I'll do the foreground first, which will probably take a day just to do a foreground. Um, shoot it and then we'll move on to the middle ground and then the background obviously by the time you finish the background the the, front, the foreground is yeah. just nothing so it's I mean there is an element of post-production to yeah, sew yeah. all these things together but, but everything is it's, for me it's very important that it's all shot uh, in front of a, a static uh, camera that's locked down everything has to be in the right place in the frame so that the lighting and the uh, perspective and the, um, the scale and the depth of the picture work so uh, although we do put things together in photoshop they're put together just as elements but the elements that are all shot for real um some things take uh just a day and some things we have to work quickly with because of the smell yeah um in particular the fishscape which is in the book which yeah. is uh, made entirely of uh, fish and seafood i'm very fortunate in some ways and very unfortunate in other ways um in the fact that i don't have a sense of smell anymore it's actually disappeared and it's not through substance abuse it's just <laughs> something that's kind of happened uh inside of my head yeah. i can still taste things um, but I cannot smell things, and uh, it's a great shame. I used to have a problem with you could blindfold me and put a banana under my nose, and when I could smell, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. This is obvious. Yeah. I know this. This is, um, and I just couldn't tell you. And, of course, when I see it, it's, of course it's a banana, but I can't, I couldn't, my brain wouldn't Yeah. Connect. So, I mean, that was interesting because Carl was telling me that he had lost his sense of smell prior to us taping this show. Um, and I, I thought of it, oh, maybe it's Darwinism because you do have to spend a week on a shoot sometimes with fish <laughs> sitting out. But at the same time, he mentioned, well, you know, sometimes when you lose one sense, it heightens another. So maybe uh, the kind of visual, the aesthetic uh, of food is that much more pronounced for you now. Yeah, I, I kind of think that, I mean, I don't know, my, I'm visual, visually aware so much, you know, everything I'm doing is about looking and seeing. And so perhaps it's just something I'm not using enough, but I must miss out a lot. I do miss out on aromas and, and things within and uh, taste related, you know, the, the sense of smell does affect your sense of taste. It must do. Um, but yes, it is a blessing. And on that particular occasion with the fishscape, I mean, I think everybody went home stinking of fish. <laughs> and uh, I was actually picked up by my son from the station at about midnight. And I got off the train and he, I got into the car and he immediately just wound the windows down and was hanging his head out saying, oh, my God, Dad, you stink. Yeah, you know? how, much, how much fish did you get? I'm looking at a picture right now of you. It's about, um, gosh, it's about, in terms of monetary value from the markets, it's about £1,500 worth of fish. That's what, about $2,500 worth of fish and uh, crabs and lobsters and whole sides of salmon. I mean, huge amount of fish. And it was went all from that. the Billingsgate fish market. That's right, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And what kind of fish did you actually get? Um, it varies. It's all sustainable fish. We obviously been very, because it was for a client as well, we need yeah. to make sure that we weren't uh, putting sort of flat fish or cod and things like that. So uh, a lot of herring, sea bass, uh, mackerel, sprats, white bait, um, pollock, pollock, coli. Yeah. What, I mean, what's coli? Coley is very similar to Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> so imitation crab. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's like a white fish. It's just got a white um, kind of cod-like fish. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think they tend to use, a lot of the fish and chip shops in England tend to use Pollock and Coley now and don't tell the customers that it's not cod yeah. because, um, <laughs> you know, it's cheaper. And uh, in fact, it's a it's, lovely fish. And it's know. more sustainable now. Yeah, yeah. too right. Yeah, that's, that's a very important aspect to it. But people don't, you know, they can't... 
trade descriptions if they're selling cod and it's really pollock. But years ago, we used to, uh, I remember in the 70s, people used to eat scampi. And scampi was supposed to be um, prawns. And in actual fact, they were using monkfish. And of course, then when monkfish became very popular, I mean, if you were getting little pieces of monkfish in batter, yeah. you were doing really well. Um, but it was this sort of poor man's prawn in, that, in those days because people couldn't tell the difference. And it was just like, you know, fishy substance inside batter. So, uh, yeah, as, as the fish becomes sort of up, go up and down in terms of expense from the sea, it's, uh, it's interesting how we kind of adapt the way we sell things and how we, you know, our awareness of what we're eating. Yeah. Uh, back to your studio. I mean, to kind of hold all this stuff too is it is it a large studio is there a kitchen is there a walk-in fridge is yeah it- i mean we kind of i hire in fridges if i've got a lot of stuff that needs to be refrigerated I and mean, if we did a uh, shoot recently with a lot of um, meats which we needed to keep cool um i've got two very big fridges in the studio and we have a, a kitchen area uh, it's not a massive studio it's a sort of still life studio it's about or thousand fifteen hundred square feet but with my model makers and my food stylists and food and blocks of polystyrene and cameras and lights yeah it soon gets filled yeah. up how so, many people do you have on staff uh, it depends on how quickly, like with the fish one, we had to get it all done in a day because of the smell and things rotting and stuff. So we had about six people in the set that day. So be a food stylist, her assistant, model maker, his assistant, me, my assistant. And I think we had a couple of other people on hand as well just to be washing and clearing up and stuff. So um, all hands on deck for something like oh, yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And what you said you use a stationary camera. What kind of camera? Uh, I use a Hasselblad, which has got a sort of a digital back so 39 million pixel chip one that i have at the moment i think you can get 60 million at the moment no, but uh, <laughs> i can't i can't more. i can yeah. i can't tell the difference it's good enough for me we can blow it up into big prints and on yeah. billboards and stuff so you know i'm happy as larry with that but uh, what's interesting i've been kind of moving the work into uh, the moving image as well and even using sort of stills layered still shots uh, and then animating them to create sort of uh, um, we've done various television um, ads and I've been doing little films with the, with the, some of the shots that I've made so I've been directing sort of TV commercials and we're now working on a really interesting project which is to actually kind of take this forward into a kids animation yeah. which is going to uh, help educate children about uh, healthy eating and where things come from and how they grow and how good they are for you so it's uh, for me a great privilege to be able to take the work forward into something that could actually do some good yeah and i'm very keen to sort of follow the whole sort of uh, jamie oliver idea of trying to uh change some of the the food culture that we have you know certainly in the uk and in the u.s yeah. as well are you two going to have a syndicate show here in the u.s um that would be lovely yeah. um you know <laughs> but he, what I can do. he hasn't yeah. called me yet you know yeah. maybe he will excellent and what's the name of the show uh, the actual oh the, the 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 animation thing yet to be decided for it's the actual title of it I can't give you that yet yeah. but I can't give too many secrets away at the moment because Excellent. well I'll, I'll keep on okay. you know wishing and wanting well it's about a character who's a, a few characters who are going to be travelling through this world of food so I'm going to be making real food landscapes the characters will probably be CGI because it's just so costly and time consuming to do them out of stop frame um, animated kind of models um, but uh, yeah they're going to be going through a real world of food and finding out about ingredients and uh we're going to make characters out of you know, like a, a carrot uh, giraffe and yeah. who can see for miles because you can you know your carrots help you see well and <laughs> all of the little stories and there's going to be music yeah. and uh, there's going to be but see know. that's what i love about your work because it's, it's fantastical but it's also uh got this duality to it whereas you know uh, 
giraffe made of carrots can see because carrots help you see. Yeah. It's not just, you know, well, this looks like a giraffe and that's why I'm going to make it a giraffe. No, it's and very important to me that there's a so back, there's a backstory. Yeah. yeah, there has to be a backstory. There has to be a reason for it. I think anything really that anybody does in life, if you've got certain kind of passion and certain belief in what you're doing and it's not just a shallow, superficial, just making pretty pictures out of food, to me it's there's a lot more to it. I'm really interested in the whole kind of movement for uh, for. Uh, better eating better kind of quality of life through through diet and uh food culture i think is something that really needs to be addressed uh and there's a lot of great people out there doing a lot of great things but there's still a long way to go and i think it's important for me to um to try and help this kind of idea uh, propagate a little bit more i really believe i mean i have a family of four children yeah. sitting around the table eating a meal together is really important uh my wife and i love cooking and so our kids see us cooking and they're what have you got there why you know what's going on here and taste this try this and it brings families to the table and so it's not just a quick pit stop for a fuel intake. It's something that is a celebration of family. It's a time spent together. And, you know, you go to France, you go to Italy, Spain, countries around the Mediterranean. They are all doing this. Yeah. And it has a wider sense of community on the back of it as well because everybody loves food. They all celebrate, you know. And you go to Spain and they'll make a massive paella yeah. and feed the village, you know. I mean, we don't have that in, in England. And I, I don't, you know, I, I, I've seen in the States they have massive cookouts and big sort of barbecue kind of things and stuff like that but on a small scale on a local scale um, communities villages towns just kind of uh, suburban areas could actually kind of get together a bit more over food yeah i think that'd be a good thing uh do you feed a village with your sets after you're done i could do yes i could (laughs) um we tend to share out the food after we've shot i mean some people do kind of have a pot shot at me about what a waste of food um, I don't believe my work is a waste of food just because it's not being eaten. I think that it's bringing a lot of joy. And if it's certainly being used as a vehicle for nutritionalists and uh, for in children's hospitals to encourage children to start eating after they've been ill, uh, childhood obesity clinics, all kinds of people are, are interested in using the imagery in order to you know, put across uh, healthy food, a healthy eating message. And, yeah, I, I uh, mean, you know. I think of it like sacrificial lamb. I mean, it, yeah, it's yeah, a small yeah. sacrifice to pay to educate and you know propagate no, this idea. And we do we do people. share the food out amongst yeah. the crew. And if we've got a lot left over, we have a local shelter that we'll call up and they'll come around and, and pick the stuff up and take it away. I mean, do you say, "Oh, we have a whole Tuscan vista for you to eat tonight"? Yes, come and gorge yourself. On, yeah. Um, on Tuscany. Now, actually, speaking of the amazing Tuscan landscapes, and actually uh, the Chinese landscape that you did too, using both Tuscan elements in the Tuscan one and like, you know, goji berries and fortune cookies in the other. Have you traveled to Tuscany? Have you traveled to China? Yeah, and- yeah. No, I mean, the uh, I've, I love Italy. I love Italian cooking. It's my favorite. I think if I was ever to sort of, you know, choose a place to go and live, it would be Italy. Um, I love the people, the history, the, the landscape and the food is just stunning from their cheeses, their meats, uh, the pasta. It's all beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I've been to Tuscany and I, I've places like San Gimignano, which I think the Tuscan landscape is very similar to that looking sort of hilltop town. Um, I mean, yeah, the light quality in this book, you, you have to see it. Uh, Carl uses a mix of both tungsten and strobe light, but it creates, if you've ever been to Tuscany, that, that glow that is just, you know, so inherent of that countryside. Yeah, the observation of light is, is very important. And being a, as a photographer, I did a lot of landscape work 
and a lot of studio still life work. So it's a kind of a marriage between um, being able to replicate sunlight in the studio and my knowledge of composition of uh, you know traditional landscape photography mixed with food and still life photography to create these works. Excellent. Well, I'm starved. <laughs> I'm absolutely famished by uh, talking about your beautiful book. If you haven't picked it up, it's called Food Landscapes, uh, Carl Warner's Food Landscapes by Abrams. You can find it, uh, you know, anywhere, everywhere, all about. Check it out. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Uh, I'm telling you, completely inspirational and completely uh, pangs of hunger set in right now. I'd like to thank Fairway, our sponsor again, Jack Inslee, our producer, um, Nat Wiener, our engineer, and uh, Heritage Radio Network for hosting the food scene. Hope to have you here next week, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Cheers.